Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. On today's show, zero rating, sponsored data, and the controversial world of internet coupons. Joining me in our studio to discuss this is Rosalind Layton. She is a PhD fellow at Alberg University in Copenhagen, and she's a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. You can read about her work at techpolicydaily.com. Rosalind, thank you for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks. So we've talked about this on our last podcast. Um, Recently, companies have been experimenting with something called zero rating. And uh, the most easy to understand example of this is probably T-Mobile's offering Binge On, where every month most Americans have a certain amount of mobile data they can use, whether it's two gigabytes, three gigabytes, And you can really eat that up pretty quickly with data intensive activity like streaming audio over Spotify or streaming video over Netflix. So T-Mobile with Binge On, they zero out all of those services so that you can stream as much video as you want and then use the three gigabytes for something else. So it's a form of zero rating. But for people who don't really follow tech policy or haven't come into contact with these offerings, zero rating might be difficult to understand. So can you take this digital world controversy and put it in the physical world? Sure. Well, you know, thanks so much for that question. Uh, you know, what what this is about, uh, price differentiation, this is the essence of competition. You know, if, if you want to have competition in the marketplace, you can't expect all the products to be the same, all the prices to be the same. You want to have companies to provide different products and services. And this is really part of a, an evolution um, with a larger field within the mobile industry called value-added services. Uh, within economics, within, you know, sort of business models, we can talk about a lot of things that consumers are familiar with every day. For example, the loss leader. When you go into a supermarket, you know, you will buy uh, bread and milk. You know, maybe it has a low price, but the supermarket makes up the margin on other premium products. Right. And, you know, this is there's a good reason for that. And, you know, by the way, it's blessed by the FTC. They've written a book about loss leaders, um, but it's very common concept is the idea that, you know, let's say if you have limited income, you should be able to buy the basic things for a low price. And then those discretionary items, they have a higher margin. This is an intuitive concept. Right. In fact, the, even the term zero rating goes back to the 1950s in the European common market, where the zero rated goods were um, free from value added tax. So books or equipment for the handicapped, they purposely were subject to low tax to make sure that they could be consumed at a low price. Right. So the so, grocery store is pricing bread and milk at maybe such a low price that they're not even going to make money on it. Sure. But they're expecting that a customer who buys something else might make up the cost. So they're incentivizing you to behave a certain way. And another example of this in the telecom world would be 1-800 numbers. Can you explain how that is similar to what T-Mobile is doing? Yeah. So what I would say, I mean, interestingly, this is the 50th anniversary of the 1-800 number. They were started in 1966. But back in that time, it was important for, well, and you know, the first the technology came about, but let's say in the 80s, this really took off. But car rental companies, airlines, hotels, they wanted to be able to create a national presence, offer customer service. And, uh, you know, so that's how it got going. Now today, 1-800 numbers you can get as an individual for as low as $10 a month. Wow. So this same concept of, um, you know, so for example, one of the key ways zero rating is used by mobile operators is to provide free customer support. 
So when you are going to top up your mobile balance or check certain things, the uh, the operator doesn't want to charge you for that data. The right. same way that you pay, you don't have to pay for a toll-free call. So these are sort of co- customer courtesies that you want to be able, you know, that you come to expect as a consumer. Right. Customers might have noticed if, if you're getting close to your data cap for the month, a lot of times, you know, if you have Verizon or T-Mobile, they'll send you a text message saying you're getting close to your data cap, but rest assured this text message is right. not going to count if you have a text message limit. They want, they're zeroing out that text message so that they can give you customer service without you using up your text message allowance. Absolutely. And so, you know, these business models have existed for a long time, as you say, but they're getting really controversial in the internet space. And What's the reason for that? Yeah. Well, so first of all, just to put bear this in mind, the offers that are zero rated are well less than 1% of all the offers, I mean, in the whole world. I mean, so there's a kind of a, there's a bit of a, um, I mean, a misconception, whether it's on purpose, that's, you know, pr- promoted in the press, that this is somehow taking over and, and so on. For the most part, these plans are used by the entrant operators, the ones who are third or fourth tier, MVNOs, which are virtual operators, those who don't have a large network. And they the only way they can differentiate is to get your attention with some kind of marketing offer. So this is actually a way to support the little guy, if you will, and also frequently for... Um, uh, the content providers or the companies participating in these plans will be the ones you don't know. Um, you know, one of the key criticisms is, oh, this is all about big companies and big content providers. Actually not. It's the way for the little guys to compete and to give the content providers you've never heard of another leg up so that you, the end user, will notice them. Right. So T-Mobile, as the third largest carrier in the nation, is trying to compete with Verizon and AT&T who have bigger networks. So one of the ways that they get publicity for themselves and get more customers is to offer unlimited data or unlimited video streaming to their customers. Now, last year there was a big uproar over net neutrality and net neutrality is connected to the zero rating debate. But the real fervor around net neutrality was about no, about really practices that a lot of people would consider bad practices and would be willing to see the FCC regulate them. So these practices are known as blocking, throttling, discriminating, and paid prioritization. So to take them one at a time, blocking. You don't want a situation where Comcast, as the internet provider, starts blocking websites of its competitors like Disney. So Comcast owns NBC. They don't want you watching ABC. They block the website. Hasn't happened without regulation, but they can probably live with a regulation that says they can't do that. Throttling. You don't want Comcast slowing down Disney content to advantage NBC content. Same idea with discrimination or paid prioritization which there's a big disagreement about, but that would be Comcast charging Disney extra to make sure that it's, you know, content gets there. But none of that, none of those principles of the basic definition of net neutrality hit on zero rating. And the FCC kind of punted on this issue in the open internet order. Yeah, that's correct. Well, so, you know, for the most part, uh, uh, you know, regulators are uh, encur- encouraging of things like zero rating, particularly because they're helping the small and entrant providers. Um, but as you know, in the open internet rules, there is a um, an understanding of taking it on a case-by-case basis. Right. Now, of course, um, you know, for me, this is really about a bait and switch. You know, my concern about this, that even if it is written in there, it's, it's always the, it can always be a door that's opened 
whether now or down the line. And the interesting thing is it's not consumers who are complaining about zero rating. I mean, 8 million people switched to T-Mobile last year in part because of the zero rating offers, okay? And when, you know, my studies, you can look, uh, I've got a paper where I've looked at the before and after effects of bans on zero rating in three countries. There is not in any one country records of customers complaining about this. It is typically one advocacy organization that doesn't like it. They don't like one particular plan. Generally, it's some small third, you know, third operator with the, you know, their own, uh, an entrant version of a cloud uh, service or what have you. So, you know, the small, so when these things are banned, they end up hurting the little guys and also, you know, consumers who wanted to choose that mobile operator because of the customer service plan or what have you. But so at any rate, the FCC did punt on this. Um, as you probably know, this is still in court. There's nine lawsuits against the FCC. Right, the net neutrality <laughs> rules that were adopted last right. year, they are in effect now, but there are a lot of lawsuits right. going on, and it's not clear that they're going to pass muster, and we might see a, a resolution sometime in May or June, but then it might just go to the Supreme Court. Absolutely. So yes. you could argue it's premature for the FCC to be looking at zero rating when the whole regulation itself is, right. is not even, uh, hasn't even passed the courts. Right. So, so basically you got, if you're going to, if you used a basic competition test here, you would say, is there market power issues? You know, you have, these are not, so for example, give you a great uh, instance, uh, in Slovenia where certain practices were banned, you had the, um, uh, the, tel- the telecom authority and the regulator having different opinions. And, you know, the, the competition authority said, wait a second, the market for data transfer, what we're talking about here, the amount of data that's being zero rated amounts to a few cents, right. you know, on a $30 monthly subscription. This is insignificant. This is not market power. You know, if I am zero rating my Slovenian version of a, of a, of a content provider, I'm not disrupting Google. I'm not disrupting Disney or, or what right, have you. Right. So there's not market power issues. The, um, uh, but the other issue is that, um, you know, you, you have to come back to what is it consumers want, right? If, right. Because if in, if, in fact, many of these things are related to, you know, the consumer demand. So um, what, uh, you know, so I would say what my concern is here from a tech policy perspective is that you're creating new, well, so first of all, when these open internet rules came in, there was this whole sense of, well, this is reasonable, blocking, thr- we can we right. can accept these bans, that's fine. Well, that's all it's about. That's basic. That's how right. Chairman Janikowski the sold it. The basic net right. neutrality definition. But, right. But lo and behold, we find out that's not what it's about. This is about regulating the internet. This is about implementing, you know, utility regulation, regulating the internet like a telephone network, bringing in sort of price controls, bringing in, I'm going to bet your business plan, you know, all these kind of mother may I things that is not about promotion. It's not just a hypothetical concern because recently the FCC asked companies that were engaging in zero rating, which include T-Mobile, Comcast, AT&T, among others, they said, what's the deal with your business models? Come talk to us about it. And we talked about on the last podcast how that in and of itself could be discouraging to other providers who want to start experimenting. Absolutely. If I'm a small competitor with limited resources, why would I take the plunge into zero rating if a company like T-Mobile is getting crap for it. Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't have the lawyers that T-Mobile has, right. so I'm just right. going to wait and see. Right. Meanwhile, consumers might be robbed of a really innovative service. You had a blog out today uh, where you address three myths about zero rating. So let's let's take those and go with them. Um, so zero rating plans, some of them have come under criticism like Facebook's uh, free basics because it, it gives someone some internet but not the full internet. And there are a lot of people, like someone you debated on Monday at State of the Net uh, conference, Barbara Van Schoek from Stanford University, 
She thinks that zero rating is bad because what it does is it gives people only a piece of the internet and that everyone should have access to the full internet. So if zero rating is only giving people some internet, could that be considered a harm? Right. So let's so let's take this. You brought up the free basics, which I think you know is is an amazing program. If it's been tried in thirty six countries, and what they find is that you know this program is designed for people who have never used the internet. They are in absolutely poor countries. They make a few dollars a month. They don't have smartphones. You know they don't have wireline connections at home. So this is the first. They don't even know what the internet is. Right. And Facebook's so, trying to right. show them so what the internet. It's is not like. enough to yeah. give. It's not enough to give someone free access to the internet because they still have the search costs of figuring out what I use it for. So what Facebook has done is that they have sort of lowered the transaction costs for local service providers in the local language who are relevant, whether it's finding the crop prices for the day, what's the weather report, the bus schedule, health, uh, pre, you know, prenatal, pregnancy, de- baby delivery, stuff that's really important in, yeah. in these situations. And, you know, offered that in a way in an ad-free platform that people don't have to even have a subscription. They don't get charged and they can use that. That is a wonderful service. And even if you have zero and then you end up with, you know, finding out you find, you save your baby's life because you use this service, you know, you're better off. Your community is better off. Yeah. Okay. And, and someone in that position, really, if they're just trying to access municipal information, healthcare information, they've never used the internet before. You telling them that, no, 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 you can't use this basic service because it violates principles of net neutrality. They probably don't care because they're right. getting something well, that they really need and they don't need access to the whole internet. Right. Well, and the other point here, the whole presumption that, so, you know, the, the other part, these people don't speak English for the most part. Many of them can't even read. So the, the fact that you should oblige them to provide, uh, to, um, they can't buy an internet subscription unless they can read, that they even know how to use a smartphone. They write in languages that are not even, uh, you can't even write with letters, okay? Right. So there's a kind of a, 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 script, a script that they'll use. So um, they're not even, you know, not even their whole lifetime will they be even begin to do that. So this is a presumption. It's an elitist view that we should expect poor people to use the internet the way that, you know, those of us college-educated people do in the United States. It's absolutely, it's absolutely ludicrous. But, but the other thing here is there is nothing to stop uh, anybody who uses free basics who wants to click on any kind of link, you know, access all the content that's available. All right. And so just so that you know, the amount of even those of us who are super Internet users who could spend 24 hours a day on the Internet, we are all going to just interact with a scintilla of content. I mean, less than one percent. I mean, for all the even for the most mature Internet users, you're only going to go to about 15 destinations for the most. Right. So the idea that you need to have access to the deep web and every single point you can possibly imagine, it's not reasonable it's not economic or technically possible right but the argument against that would be so yes it it may be good that some people who can't afford the full internet get access to some internet but someone like professor van schoek would argue the reason the internet became so successful is because everyone was on a level playing field and that no uh services were disadvantaged by others so because 
if I am a Netflix competitor and Netflix is being zeroed out by T-Mobile and I'm not being zeroed out, then I'm going to be at a disadvantage and no one's ever going to find out about my service. What do you say to that? Sure. Well, so, you know, what uh, Ben Shawick's talking about, she wrote a book called The Architecture of Innovation and she's talking about this end-to-end principle, which was an engineering discussion, which was reappropriated and sort of misinterpreted. What's really going on here is not a sort of architecture that's driving the innovation. What's driving the innovation is complementary assets. And I'm going to tell you, if you look at the literature on innovation, where the citations are, where the discussions and the tests and the empirical evidence is around complementary assets. Not We don't have evidence supporting the end-to-end principle the way that Ben Shaywick and Lessig have described. The end-to-end principle meaning that the... The only reason, or one of the main reasons the internet is successful is that everyone is on an equal playing field, right? Right. Well, so, but basically, what's really going on, what happens in innovation is that you need to have complementary assets. You know, it's not that Google as a search engine is what makes it innovative. Google had to marry the search engine with the ad engine. Yeah, you've got to make money somehow. Right. Well, and yeah. it's not just about that, but that is the innovation is that they are uh, delivering the information and they have a, a way to do that. But another example will be your, um, let's say your mobile phone and you use uh, Siri. Uh, you have a 4G network and iPhone. You can't even realize that Siri um, voice without a 4G network. So uh, though you need to have these complements to go together to make the innovation. Now, this idea about level playing field is nonsense because, you know, the, 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 Websites that we use, the apps that we use, they all have different endowments in terms of their investors and their business models and the intelligence of the people who work there and their marketing skills. So, you know, this notion that there's, you know, a competition, a level playing field is really about the regulation. Do you, you provide symmetrical regulation across the, across the field, okay? And in general, Silicon Valley, largely what helped it was it was off the radar of the regulators. Yeah. You know, it, the problem with net neutrality is it's asymmetrical regulation on one part of a very complex value chain. So you're sort of disadvantaging some parties over others. Yeah, you're telling the infrastructure companies, the ones who build the pipes, the ones who put up the wireless towers, the ones who provide the access to the internet, that they're going to be regulated much more harshly than the edge services right. like Facebook right. and Google. Now, let's talk about the harms of potential regulation, right? So we We've outlined the benefits of zero rating. It's an on-ramp to the internet. Facebook says 50% of people who use their curated internet called Free Basics end up wanting the whole thing because they see the relevance and they've never seen the internet before and now they want more. And even the 50% who don't, they still get access to healthcare information and really important things. So what would the harm be if the FCC said to T-Mobile, binge on is no longer acceptable because it doesn't treat all internet traffic equally it's treating video differently than Wikipedia. Right. So right off the bat, I think the harm is going to be to the music streaming providers. There are now 40 music streaming providers who are part of the T-Mobile program. 95% of the music on their network is zero rated. Wow. And if you go to their website, you'll find a list of the 40 um, apps that they're using. I cannot find a more comprehensive list of... Uh, music services than there. I don't find it on a Google search. I don't find it yeah. on Wikipedia. I don't find if you in Facebook, it's going to depend on who your network is. So there, even in that, providing that program, you're finding more access to possible uh, types of stream of streaming music than I, I never knew half of those names, yeah. right? Unless you're kind of the you know the music nerd who's like you know <laughs> yeah. spend all day reading you know every down you know long tail article about it. But they have done a fabulous job now. Those other so the critics are saying, well, it's not good enough. 
stuff because they don't have 140. Well, they're worth every music everyone that's there. So listen, yeah. they are moving and they keep they keep, you know, well gee, we're going to just punish them right out of the gate for trying. I mean, they are moving and improving it all the time. They are adding new ones every, you know, every time I check it grows. Similarly with their video program. What I've read is a, a report, there's an independent report that says that the video consumption on this binge on program is up across the board. So even the video providers who are not officially in the program are experiencing higher. Right. And one of the controversies around binge on is that a service like YouTube that is not zero rated is going to suffer. But what you're saying is even the the people that choose not to participate in binge on, and they are making a choice because T-Mobile says anyone that meets the specs can join. So it's not discriminatory Mm -hmm. in that way and doesn't violate net neutrality in that Mm -hmm. vein. If you're YouTube, you're still seeing increased video consumption because people now have more data to spare. Now, there's another danger with uh, regulating this so harshly in the United States. You know, the United States, the vast majority of Americans have access to multiple options for high speed. But let's take the example of India, where 20% of the country is connected and Facebook is trying to remedy that with free basics by giving people an on-ramp. Now, India is worried about free basics because of net neutrality, but you could argue they don't have the luxury of being purist about their internet experience. They don't have the luxury of saying the only internet that's worth having is all of it because there's a lot of people who would benefit from some of it. Right. And another uh, potential downside to this is user-driven zero rating. So right now the companies are kind of the ones figuring this out. They're looking at consumer demand. They see video and T-Mobile responds to a consumer demand. But in the near future, it could be technologically feasible that customers are going to be the ones that can choose to zero rate. So I'm a customer. All I use is Facebook and Netflix and maybe like two other things. I don't use that much. I choose to zero rate all those four and then the rest of my data is, can be used however I want. That business model might not come about if we ban the early stage business models. And it's worth noting this is a very new thing. So a, a blanket ban on zero rating could really harm consumers in the long run and in the short term. Sure. Well, and I would say, you know, the interesting thing I would say on the other side, um, there's some other plans in the marketplace. The, um, uh, you know, AT&T has a sponsored data and Verizon has this new, it's a beta version, um, uh, this freebie data. Right. And there, what's interesting is they have uh, done some deals with the NFL and um, uh, they have also where, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think, great social benefits where there's certain companies who want to incentivize you as the user to see their content. Yeah. So that it's not, they're, they're paying for your subscription. So you can say, for example, if you're a healthcare provider, you want to, you have a, a high incidence of, let's say, heart disease or trying to get people to stop smoking and so on. That one of the best things to do is to say, here's some videos you should watch, get ready for your surgery or what have you. This is how your cancer treatment is going to go. So you can watch the, and those videos. The, won't use the, up your data. Right, and they're gonna, they'll pay for that, that provision. And so you can see any number of things. Let's say you buy a new car, and that car company, they're going to say, right, here's our set of you know, stuff about how your new car works. You're going to home improvement, Home Depot will now zero rate a, a whole bunch of videos. I mean, not zero rate, but they'll sponsor that data that will allow you to say, oh, all the home improvement I want to do. I mean, yeah. there's any number of, of things you could think about where that content provider is going to help you as the user lower your cost. Yeah, and- you are really in the pos- in the position of power there. If there are companies that are so willing to pay you to for your eyeballs, they mm-hmm. want you watching their ads. 
So they're willing to sponsor the data. And that's a different model than T-Mobile. Mm -hmm. So one of the discussions that's come out of this is that maybe some forms of zero rating are okay and some are not. So Facebook's program, for example, it's very much focused on getting poor and low-income people and maybe people who don't know about the internet who've never encountered it, getting them online, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a very noble goal and it doesn't really have anything to do with money in the short term. Mm -hmm. And then there's the model of T-Mobile where they say any video or music provider that meets specs can join the program and it's no money's changing hands. It's really motivated by network congestion and competition. They're trying to compete with AT&T and Verizon. But then there's another model which is sponsored data. Mm -hmm. And that's the one you bring up where the NFL... Anyone who watches football games on Verizon is not going to see any data consumption on their cap. And the NFL is the one who's paying. So that, that's a paid arrangement. And those are the ones that get more flack. Should the business models be treated differently based on the, whether or not money's changing hands? Or should zero rating be okay regardless? Right. So I think this is a case where we shouldn't make these arbitrary distinctions. You know, this is supply and demand. Whether or not, uh, the, if it's you who pays or the end user, you know, this is, we, we, sh we should just allow these to be there and let the consumers decide. Uh, you know, I, what I would just say, looking at the history, one of the important things for the United States and why our country leads the world in our in culture and our exports of content industries was precisely because we allowed experimentation and also that we allowed the content providers to participate in lowering the cost to the end user. So just take example of TV. In European countries, if you wanted to watch TV, you had to pay a license fee to the government. And if you didn't pay this fee, you would get fined. And if you didn't pay the fine, you get put in jail. We took a very different idea with television in the United States. We said, we're going to allow commercials. You know, we will have some public broadcasting where there'll be some taxes, fair enough. But we're going to have, um, you know, we'll have networks which will provide advertising. Yeah. And that was really allowed, you know, it was, and the great point, of course, was that, um, you know, this was a way to compete with the movie theaters, right? right? So, you know, you had television was competing with movie theaters. This was a wonderful thing. And so now, of course, we have the internet competing with other content industries. We should not put on arbitrary controls because they don't conform to some kind of aesthetic, neutral form of experience. I mean, that is a, an illusion. What you, we need to allow it the way that the market wants to take it. Eight million people are not stupid, okay? The, the FCC wants to second guess what consumers want to choose in the marketplace. That's not, that's not their role. Right. If net neutrality was really the push for net neutrality was motivated by a perceived future harm to consumers, any regulation the FCC does about zero rating should look at consumer harm. And so far, as you say, eight million people have switched to T-Mobile, citing these programs as one of the reasons they've done it. And the only people who seem to be attacking zero rating are people who believe the internet should be a one-size-fits-all experience, the whole internet. And that's really a kind of an ideological argument right. about how the internet should be rather than an argument about consumer harm. Sure. And just so you know, you know there are very, there's a very specific competition test about consumer harm. There's two questions you ask. Are prices higher and is there less innovation? So we can say today, are prices higher? No. You know, all the time prices get lower. Alternatively, we get more value. You know, the same way with cars, we may pay more for cars, but our cars do more and so on. Similarly, right. you know, maybe we're going to buy higher tiers. We get, we bundle more things. We get more value all the time with our internet subscription. The other thing, there's more innovation. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, you know, the other part about this is the critics 
who want to talk about this, they have no numbers to substantiate what they're saying. It is all a sort of the conjecture and the theoretical harms and this could happen. And, you know, nothing is on paper, right. you know, and no regulator, at least. And I look every day. I, I call the, um, you know, I call the websites to the regulators, look at the, you know, anything that I can study about this issue. And there's no regulator who has come out with any kind of an empirical analysis that consumer harm is there. Yeah. Internet coupons in general. And that's one way of thinking about this is a coupon for the Internet. I get to basically get a bunch of free video and don't have to pay for it. Uh, it's probably popular. And really the only argument against that is to say, well, people might like it too much and then yeah. they won't they won't see the value of a pure dumb pipe internet where everything is exactly the same for everyone. So that's, that's a tough argument to make. And we'll be seeing what the FCC does about this. As I mentioned, they're inquiring as to the business models of these companies. And uh, you've got the court case uh, over net neutrality, which... It's very uncertain that these rules will even hold up. So maybe anything the FCC does now will be made irrelevant. But uh, consumers should be uh, looking out for this debate as it's going to affect you. Because right. if you're getting free data right now on T-Mobile, and you might not have it right. if, if, well, these courts, if, this, if these rules stand up in court. Well, what I would say, you know, just to uh, maybe in, in, in sum up, if, if the FCC is spending its time in litigation and nitpicking, you know, plans in the marketplace, which if you look at all the things we consume in life, the connectivity becomes smaller and smaller part of what, what we consume. You know, they're really not doing the big picture things that matter, like spectrum reform, like, you know, uh, making digital transitions and so on. So I'm really concerned, let's say, as American taxpayer, you know, that this agency, which is, you know, the, the key, the big goals that they should be doing are are pushed to the back burner because they're caught up in these sort of, you know, these complaints from advocacy organizations. They're completely made a, a, a mountain out of a molehill. Right. And, you know, this is a, it, it goes against, um, you know, it goes against the, the, the point of what these agencies are supposed to do. Yeah. Well, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Roslyn Layton. She's a PhD fellow at Alberg University in Copenhagen. She's a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. You can read her blog from today and her other work at techpolicydaily.com. Follow us on Twitter at techfreedom or on facebook.com slash techfreedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt think tank based in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work in tech policy and for more episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.